0: I want to welcome you all here this afternoon for our second presentation, a very important presentation that will carry on from where we left off in our previous presentation. So I'm sure the, the pieces of the puzzle will come together even more so as we look at this all-important subject. I want to welcome those who are on video, on DVD, I should say, video. Well, that's a while ago, eh? Remember the days when we used those videotapes? Well, now it's all YouTube, isn't it? YouTube and some people use DVDs, but most people use YouTube and, um, and online. So I want to welcome you and pray that God will bless you. As we look at this all-important subject, hell, we're going to look at the subject of hell and the real truth about a hot topic, um, very important subject and um, a subject that a lot of people have views and opinions on, uh, but once again... As with our previous subject on death and what happens to a person when they die, a lot of confusion. So today, by God's grace, we want to to clear away the fog of confusion, don't we? We want to focus on what God's Word has to say. I want to begin by taking a look at um, this newspaper headline that I read just recently in the daily Adelaide's independent newspaper and um, there was a survey conducted of about 1,000, 1,075 Australians from, from all walks of life and they asked them a number of questions and this was the, the headline, more than a third of Australians believe in ghosts and aliens, says this poll. And we discovered in our last presentation uh, this growing belief in the afterlife And here we have it, this is what it says here, more than one-third of Australians believe aliens have visited the earth, while 40% are certain that heaven and hell are both destinations in an afterlife, according to an Australian poll. So four out of 10 Australians that were surveyed surveyed, uh, believe that after you die, either you go to heaven or you go to hell. That's a lot of Australians, isn't that true? That's a lot of Australians, 4 out of 10. So the average Aussie out there, 4 out of 10 of them at least, believe that there is a a hell that you can go to if you didn't do the right thing and you didn't get to heaven. Eternal burning hellfire is what most of the major world religions believe and teach, including most Christian faiths today. Uh, Eternal hellfire where those who are lost, where those who have rejected the plan of salvation turn their back on God, they will forever um, live in a place of eternal torment um, called hellfire. This individual by the name of Jonathan Edwards, a famous preacher in the 1700s, um, known as a fire and brimstone preacher, a very intelligent individual, one of the great thinkers um, of his time there in the United States of America. He was part of the great awakening movement that took place during those early to mid 1700s. And he's famous for a sermon that he preached in 8, 1741, July 8, 1741. The title of the sermon sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is why he is most famous. Um, This is kind of his claim to fame. Now there was a a US News and World Report that came out back in the year 2000 and they ran um, a story on hell and what the average American thinks or believes regarding the subject of hell. And as part, of, um, as part of this story, they included the opening words of the sermon that Edwards, Jonathan Edwards preached on July 8, 1741. Are you ready? You got your seats buckled in? Are you buckled into your seats? These were, uh, these were the opening words of the article um, straight out of the sermon that Jonathan Edwards preached. The pit is prepared, the fire is made ready, the furnace is now hot, ready to receive them. How would you like me to be preaching like that? (laughs) The flames do now rage and glow, the glittering sword is wet and held over them, and the pit has opened her mouth under them. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. And the aim of Jonathan Edwards was... For people to give their hearts to Jesus and by giving their hearts to Jesus they wouldn't have to go into this place called hell where they would be burned and tortured forever and ever and ever. He was trying to help them. And in fact the account reads that during his sermon he was interrupted a number of times. It was probably like a one or two hour sermon uh, with people crying out, what must I do to be saved? People were like fainting as well as they were listening to these words. Well, I went online, thanks to Google, and I wanted to to find this sermon. I wanted to read through the entire sermon of Jonathan Edwards. Um, It makes for very good bedtime reading. Not, not, don't read it before you go to bed. These were the final words of his sermon. And I have um, uh, pasted them in there for you to see. This was his appeal. This is how his one to two hour long sermon, not quite sure how long it went. It's about 20 pages long, 20 page sermon. This is how it ended. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ not now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over the great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom, haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you, escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. The end. Wow. Talk about a fr- fire and brimstone sermon. It was designed to shake people up, to wake people up, and, 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 to, and to have them run into the hands of a God who he referred to the wrath of Almighty God. Now, we need to know the truth about this all-important subject. Was Jonathan Edwards right? many other preachers that are preaching this message of, of hellfire and brimstone, are they preaching an accurate picture of what God has in his word? We need to know the truth about hell, for it will affect how we understand the character of God and relate to him. It will absolutely affect how you view God. Whether you see God as an angry God, the way Jonathan Edwards portrayed him in his sermon titled Sinners in the Hands of of an Angry God. That was his sermon title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Or is there a different picture of God that we find in Scripture when it comes to the subject of hellfire? I don't need to tell you, you probably know this, but they've done surveys with those who are not Christians, those who don't believe in God, those that don't go to church, that uh, those that don't claim to have any faith, and they and they've asked them and I was reading a number of the surveys and a number of the results just this week. They've asked them this one all important question. What are the barriers that you have in accepting God, becoming a Christian or joining a particular church? What are the barriers? A number of barriers are given. And do you know one that's right at the top of the list? One that's at the very top of the list is, I cannot serve a God who Christians claim, because you turn your back on God, because you don't want to accept His gift of salvation, He will then go ahead and burn you for the rest of eternity. I cannot accept a God like that. I don't want to belong to a church that believes in that. I don't want to have nothing to do with a God like that. One of the major reasons why people have turned their back on God is because of this belief. So we need to ask the question, what does the Bible actually teach? For that is our question today, what the Bible actually teaches. Not what I say, not what you think, not what anyone says or thinks, but what God has to say. Amen? You remember that poem? What says the Bible? The blessed Bible to me This my only question be, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? The words of men so often mislead me, what says the Bible, the blessed Bible to me? Is that your desire to find out what the Bible has to say? I want to know what the Bible has to say about this topic. And so we're going to pray before we open up God's word as always. And then we're going to plunge into God's word and find out what the Bible has to say. Will we answer absolutely every question? What do you think? No, there'll be other questions that need to be answered. And that's why Pastor Neil will be here for the next 10 years answering all the questions. No, there's not that many. We will do our best by the grace of God. We'll do our best by the grace of God to answer the big questions. Okay, the big questions through Scripture. And we're going to unpack Scripture. Once again, like in our previous presentation, we're going to really dig deep into Scripture to allow Scripture to speak for itself. to To allow Scripture to do what? To speak for itself. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we're about to tackle this huge titanic subject. And it's a subject that is so misunderstood. Uh, There are so many, and I've come across many of them. There are so many that have turned their back on you, Father, because they see you as an angry, vengeful God who burns people forever and ever and ever who choose not to accept you as, as, as God not, not to accept your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. Father, we need, we need to know the truth. Once again, we claim the promise in your word. If we abide in your word, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. We believe in that promise. We claim it this afternoon and we thank you for, for opening our eyes and our hearts as we open your word is our prayer in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen and amen and amen. Well, let's talk about hellfire. There are three big questions. How many questions? Three big questions that we need to answer when it comes to hellfire. And here they are. The first one is, when will hellfire burn? Well, last week, if you remember, we briefly looked at the millennium. In the book of Revelation chapter 20 and there we discovered in Revelation chapter 20 uh, the Bible tells us that hellfire is not burning now but that hellfire will burn on this planet at the end of the 1,000 years after the new Jerusalem has come down from heaven to this earth so when is not now when is not even when the second coming of Jesus takes place When is a thousand years after the coming of Jesus? And that's all found there in Revelation chapter 20. Go home and read the whole chapter and you'll discover that that is when hellfire will take place. So it's not burning right now. Are we all clear on that? The Bible is very clear. You go home and check it out. Where? Well, I've just answered that also. The surface of this earth is where hellfire will burn. So hellfire is not burning somewhere deep below the earth's surface in some barbecue pit where the devil and his and his evil angels are roasting people, just turning them over, making sure they're well done, and turning them over some more, as a lot of people believe. I mean, Hollywood has popularized that belief. Isn't that true? Absolutely. You you Hollywood um, through the movies, through books. And just through people's ideas and views the third question is the big one the third question is the big one how long will hellfire burn for that's the big question that we want to unpack today because this question has everything to do with the character of God absolutely everything to do with the character of God so we need to know the truth of the how long how long will hellfire burn well Notice what we have in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. The devil who deceived them, that is those who are lost, those that have chosen those that have chosen his plan and chosen to be aligned with him, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. You're like, well, there you go, Danny. How long? It's answered there in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. It says that God will torment those who are lost, the devil and his angels, plus all those that are lost. He will torment them day and night, forever and ever. That sounds pretty straightforward to me. We can finish the program right now. We can go home in record time. Just a moment. As my friend would say, hold the bus. Not so fast. What we need to do is, we need to unpack what all this means. And we're going to do that as we go along. But before we unpack that last phrase that, that, that has brought about this belief and view, especially in Christianity, that hellfire lasts forever and ever and ever, we need to do some investigation. So we're going to do some investigation. We're going to look at that word hell to begin with. This word that is very much misunderstood. The word hell Appears 54 times in the Bible that is in the King James version of the Bible some 54 times you will come across the word hell as you're reading from Genesis to Revelation in the Old Testament there's only one word in the original in the Hebrew that is translated as hell and that word is Sheol and the word simply means grave or place of the departed and it appears 31 times that's all that word means in the Old Testament the word for hell simply means grave it means what? grave. Nothing at all to do with fire and brimstone. Nothing at all to do with that. The word simply means the grave or the place where those that have fallen asleep, as we discovered in our last presentation, go. So in the New Testament, there are three words that that are all translated as hell in the English. One is the word Hades in the Greek, and that appears 10 times and it simply means the grave so when you come across the word hades that's what it means it means the grave there's another word here it only appears one time and it's the word tartarus and it simply means a place of darkness only one time there's one third word that appears and is translated as hell in the new testament and that word there is gehenna And it means the valley of Hinnom and it appears 12 times. This is the only word of these three in the New Testament that has anything to do with fire. The only one that has anything to do with fire. Now what was this valley of Hinnom? This valley of Hinnom was was a valley outside of Jerusalem. It was the local garbage dump. What was it? There was a local garbage dump built just outside Jerusalem there in a bit of a valley, in a, in, a, in a terrible spot when it comes to wanting to build something or establish something. That is the place where the pagans sacrificed to their gods and their idols. And that became the dumping ground for the people of Jerusalem. That is where they dumped their rubbish. And like what we have today in many dumps, um, even here in Australia I've been to, it's like an incinerator, a continual incinerator. Have you been to something like that? The, the, the rubbish is being burnt up and that's what was taking place. The fires were continually burning up the rubbish there in this place called Gehenna. Here's from Strong's Concordance, Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna or Gehinom a valley of Jerusalem used figuratively as a name for the place or state of everlasting punishment or the word or hell. So that's what it was. So what God is saying is that hell will be just like what took place outside the walls of Jerusalem where this rubbish was being burnt. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, is there a garbage dump there at that place that is is still burning? No, there isn't. I've been to Jerusalem and we went past. In fact, I think we went to that very place and visited the Valley of Hinnom Um, and there's no fire burning there. It's all burnt up, the rubbish is all gone, and um, something else there is in its place. The Bible uses Gehenna as a symbol of the fires that will destroy the wicked at the end of time. Are the fires in the Valley of Hinnom still burning today as I pointed out? No, they are not. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction is a very good illustration that Scripture uses to describe what's going to happen at the end of time to all those that are lost, including the devil and his angels and all those that have chosen his ways. You may remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that's found there in Genesis where God sends um, three angels, one of those angels we know to be Jesus Christ himself, and two of the angels um, went into Sodom And you remember, they told Lot that God was going to do what to the city? He was going to destroy the city, totally destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God told Lot to to, to just clear out, to to move out of the city along with his family. His two daughters, um, they left the city. Sadly, his wife turned around and she became a pillar of salt. Notice what we read here in Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. Escape for your life, lest you be what? Well. Destroyed is what the angel said to Lot, his daughters, and his wife. The Bible says in Genesis 19:24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And in case you're wondering where... Where is Sodom and Gomorrah located today? They are located today somewhere around or possibly in the very midst of the Dead Sea. You go to the Dead Sea today, they're in Israel, lowest part on the planet, the lowest point on the planet, and there um, you have the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The the remnants are there um, at that very place, destroyed by fire. Notice the Apostle Peter taps into this story to illustrate what's going to happen at the end of time. Notice these words in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. He writes, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into what? Ashes. Condemned them to destruction. Making them a what? An example to those who were afterward live ungodly. So what God here is saying through the Apostle Peter is that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are an example, are a what? Are an example of what God will ultimately do to all those that choose to live an ungodly life. In other words, all those that choose to reject the ways of God, to reject the character of God, to reject the salvation of God. Sadly, they will all receive the same punishment that Sodom and Gomorrah received. So the question is, are Sodom and Gomorrah burning still today? No, they're not. Did the cities burn up? Yes, they did. But they are not burning today. Notice how the Bible goes on and describes um, the fate of the wicked. Okay, That is the fate of the lost, the devil and his angels and all those that have aligned themselves with him. In Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 14, we read these words. Behold, they shall be as what? Stubble. The fire shall do what? Burn them. They shall not deliver themselves. So once again, God is very clear in his word that the lost, they will be like stubble. They will be completely burnt up. Let's take a look at another scripture. And we're only going to look at a selection. There are so many more scriptures we can look at, which we don't have time for, which I've got in your handout a number of them, but there is so much more on this subject. Psalm 37 verse 10. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be what? No more. Indeed, you shall look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. The wicked will be gone. They they won't be around anymore. Here's another scripture. Psalm 37 verse 20. But the wicked shall perish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Notice the the, the clear language that the Bible uses to describe uh, those who are lost. Here is another one from Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to what? Life, and there are a few who find it. Notice Jesus, Jesus put side by side, they are in complete opposite directions, destruction and life. Can you see that? When something is destroyed, it is what? It is gone, isn't that true? If something is destroyed, it is gone. Jesus made it very clear in John 3.16. Do I even need to put up John 3.16? But notice what we read. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not what? Perish but have everlasting life. Notice the two opposites. Perishing is the very opposite to everlasting life. It doesn't say that God so loved the world that those who believe in Him should have everlasting life, but that those who choose not to believe in Him may face everlasting punishment in hellfire. It doesn't say that. It says they will perish when something perishes, it is no more. Isn't that true? When, something, when fruit perishes, when food perishes, when clothing perishes, when shoes perish, they wear away, they're no more. That's what it means when it says it perishes. The Bible teaches that Satan and those who choose to serve him will be consumed, vanish away, devoured, destroyed, never to rise again, burnt up, no more, perish in ashes. And there are other terms that the Bible uses. Now, we haven't looked at all the scriptures that, that have these terms in them because we just haven't had time. But you can go through and you can look at a number of them, as I pointed out, that are in your handout. The Bible's very, very clear that at the end of time, those that are lost will ultimately perish. Does that mean that there is no hellfire, as some teach, including in Christian circles? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible very clearly teaches that there will be hell fire. How long will it burn for? Well, we're going to get to that as we go along. So let's go back to that scripture. Remember that scripture that we looked at right at the very beginning from Revelation 20, 10, where it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Very clear language. There is a lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. We need to look at those three all-important words, forever and ever. Now, if I say to you, forever and ever, how long do you understand that to mean? Forever and ever. Forever and ever, in my dictionary that I use, means eternity. Isn't that true? Absolutely. That's what it means. So we have a dilemma here. We have a big dilemma because we have just read a number of scriptures where God says, Satan and the wicked who join him will vanish away. They'll be no more. They'll be destroyed and so on and so forth. We've just read those scriptures. And yet here we read another scripture in the same Bible And you've got to ask yourself, is God playing games with us? Is he trying to confuse us? It sounds confusing on the surface, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. It sounds confusing on the surface. You have some scriptures saying one thing, and then you have this other scripture, and and others as well, not just this scripture in Revelation 20. You can read Revelation 14. You can read a number of other scriptures where it says, those that will be lost will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what do we need to do when there appears to be a contradiction in the Scriptures? What do we need to do? We need to look at the Scriptures closely. What do we need to do? We need to look at the Scriptures closely. We need to dig deep. We need to dig deep. Because God, the Bible says, is not the author of confusion. God is not trying to confuse us. The author of confusion is who? It's the devil. It's the devil. He's the one that inhabits... Babylon as we discovered in our last presentation Babylon represents confusion it represents rebellion god is not the author of confusion the bible is very clear on that god will have a very clear and and and, and a very i'm looking for the word and I can't find it a very um clear and a very consistent is the word I'm looking for a very clear and a very consistent message on this subject from Genesis to Revelation. Isn't that true? That's what we have discovered. So we need to look at this term forever and ever. So guess what I did? I did some research. Absolutely, I did some research. And, um, and I pray that you'll do some research too. I pray that you won't take my word for it. That is why I give you a handout when you leave So that you can go home and you can check out all the scriptures and others that we haven't even looked at during the seminar here. And you can come to your own conclusion based on God's word and the Holy Spirit leading you through God's word. Is that fair enough? So I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't even take my word for myself. So I can't trust myself. Only we can trust God. Now I did some research and I looked at this word forever. And the word in the original is the word aionon or aion in the Greek. And it means uh, three different things, uh, depending on the context that it's used. It can mean forever, an unbroken age, perpetuity of time, eternity. Okay, that's how we understand forever, isn't that right? Like when we speak of, I'm going to live forever with Jesus, what are we talking about? Forever and ever, without any interruption, okay? Eternity is what we're talking about. The word also means the worlds or the universe, it can be used in that context, Or it can mean a period of time or a particular age. A period of time. I looked at that and I wanted to look in scripture and see does the Bible in other parts of scripture use the word forever? Not so much forever and ever, but to delineate a specific period of time. And guess what I found? Notice these words Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. We know the story of Jonah. Yes, swallowed by a what? Yeah. By a whale. Yes, a big fish, the Bible says. A whale. Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. This is Jonah writing, and he says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me for how long? Forever. Was Jonah in the belly of the whale forever? It probably felt like forever. <laughs> three minutes in the belly of the whale would feel forever, let alone three days. But notice, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So he wasn't in there forever. Okay. Here's another scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, that is go up to Jerusalem, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, speaking of Samuel, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there for how long? Forever. Now, was Samuel going to serve the Lord in the the sanctuary forever? Forever and ever and ever and ever? Was he going to do that? No. Samuel was immortal. Okay, that means he was going to die. So what what did Hannah mean when she said, he will remain there before the Lord forever? Well, we have scripture that explains itself. 1 Samuel 1 verse 28 Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord, says Hannah. These are Hannah's words. As long as he will lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So scripture uses the word forever to also designate for as long as the person will live. So hellfire. Hellfire is real. And those who are lost will sadly be destroyed in hellfire according to scripture and they will burn until they come to their end. Now, how long will that be? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say how long, but it does appear that some will burn longer than others according to some of the statements that Jesus made. Now here is Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, the last chapter in the Old Testament, and we read these words. And the day which is coming shall burn them up that will leave them neither root nor what? Branch. Here, God is speaking about those that will be lost. And the Bible says that they will be burnt up, completely burnt up, including the root and the branches. Now, who's the root here, do you think? That's the devil. The devil is the root cause of sin. He is the one that tempts people into sin. The root is the devil. The branches are sadly those that have chosen to be aligned with him. You remember Jesus before his death in John? Um, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Speaking of his disciples or the believers, Jesus is the vine, his believers are the branches. The enemy, Satan, he's the root. I guess you want to call it the vine. And, and, his, and his servants are the branches. They'll be completely destroyed. Notice the second last chapter of Revelation, what we read. In Revelation 21 verse 8, we read these words. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, they shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the what? The second death. Now, this is very important, very important. In our previous presentation, we discovered that death is what? Asleep. That's what the Bible teaches. On how many occasions? On some 50 occasions, the Bible describes death as asleep. Now, the Bible says those who are lost will die the second death. That means that they will be put to sleep. Put to sleep for all of eternity because that's what death is. Death. Is asleep death is not burning in hellfire forever and ever death is not living somewhere in some disembodied spirit forever and ever death is asleep the Bible is very clear on that as we have discovered and it says they will die the second death and you remember back to the story of Lazarus I didn't share this earlier on but in the story of Lazarus when Jesus Called him out. You remember what Jesus said, what his words were? Lazarus, do what? Come forth. Jesus never said, Lazarus, do what? Come down. Or Lazarus, come up. Well, he wouldn't have been coming up. (laughs) He was a good man. Well, a lot of people believe hell is down there somewhere. Well, we know what the Bible teaches on that. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. If Lazarus was in heaven... That would have been pretty rough for him to come back and to live some more. Isn't that true? It would have been pretty rough after four days of being in heaven to come back. Lazarus, according to Jesus, was what? Asleep. He was asleep. And Jesus said, I'm going to wake him up. Those that die the second death are those that are put to sleep forever and ever. Now you may be thinking the second death, What does the Bible mean when it says the second death? We're going to get to that right now. There are two deaths, two deaths. You don't have any choice in your first death, no choice. And the reason is Adam and Eve, well, Adam in particular, made the choice for you and for me and for all of us that we would have to partake in the first death. And unless Jesus comes in the next 100 years, everyone who is in this room will experience the first death. You have no choice in that matter. But you and I do have a choice whether we will experience the second death. The second death is eternal destruction. It's eternal isolation from God, being completely separated from all eternity from God and being completely gone and vanishing away. There is only one, Person So far that has died the second death and that is Jesus. You know that Jesus died the second death, that death where there is no hope. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, the Bible tells us was given that cup to drink three times, not once, not twice, but three times that cup was extended to him and that cup was filled with all of the suffering and all of the sin of the human race. And Jesus had to make a choice whether he would drink that cup because the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, we're not talking about the first death that we all die. The death that the wages of sin is, according to Romans 6.23, is the second death. It's eternal separation from God. Jesus chose to drink that cup. Jesus chose, as we have already discovered, to be separated from his Father forever, to take on board our punishment so that you and I can receive the gift of life. Very clearly, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our life. Death and eternal life are in two opposite camps. Jesus paid the price. He experienced the second death. You may be thinking, really? Did Jesus experience the consequences of the second death? Is that what was in his heart? You remember when he was on the cross, Jesus cried out those words and we've looked at them and I repeat them once again. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what the second death is? The second death is to choose to do what? To choose to experience that eternal separation from God. You see, the Bible is very clear. God alone is immortal. Isn't that true? That's what we've already discovered. God alone is immortal. God gives his gift of immortality to all those that are willing to receive it. If you are not willing to receive the gift of immortality, guess what? You remain as mortal. Can a mortal live forever? No, they can't. The reason why we have this teaching that comes from the devil himself, even though it's preached in many Christian churches today, this belief that God allows people who refuse the gift of salvation to burn in hell forever and ever and ever. The reason why we have this teaching today circulating in Christianity and amongst all the world religions is because the lie that you have an immortal soul has been shared, believed, and now is being preached to the masses. But if you know the truth, about what the Bible says about the human soul, about the human person. If you know what the Bible teaches, that the Bible says that you and I do not have an immortal soul, that we are given the gift of immortality when Jesus comes at his second coming, then you don't have a problem with those that have forfeited eternal life being wiped out, being destroyed, and not having to burn forever and ever. The two, in fact, make perfect sense. But you cannot have one and the other. They don't work. They both go together. And so Jesus was willing to die that death. He was willing to die that death, to be separated from his heavenly father forever. In fact, I, I help people understand this subject in this way by illustrating. If you think about God, think of him as a life support system. Okay, we all know how a life support machine works. As someone who's in hospital, in ICU, um, they cannot breathe for themselves because of their situation that they find themselves in. They are hooked up to that life support system. Isn't that true? What happens when their life support system is turned off? One of two things will happen. Either they will start breathing on their own and they'll continue on, or what will happen? And most of the time does happen the person passes away. God is our life support system. God is the life support system for the entire universe. When you and I choose willfully to disconnect from God, from that one and only life support system in the universe, we are now apart from that life support system. When that life support system is switched off, it's all over we switch off as well. Does that make sense? That's what the Bible teaches. Back to Jonathan Edwards and that sermon from 1741, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. If I was to preach that sermon, I wouldn't preach it with that title. I would preach it with this title, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Why is that? You see, the Bible tells us that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. You cannot have a picture of a loving God who at the same time allows those who refuse Him to burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The two do not go hand in hand. No wonder, no wonder so many have turned their back on God and don't want to have anything to do with a God like that. How can you as Christians call him a God of love and yet just because the person chooses not to accept the plan of salvation, God will then punish them forever and ever and ever and ever by burning them. What kind of God of love is that? I don't want to serve a God of love like that. That's not a God of love. That's like you being a judge, and because someone was speeding five kilometers over the speed limit, you consigning them to the electric chair. Not even Hitler, not even Hitler was that cruel. He was very cruel, but not even Hitler did that kind of cruelty to the people forever and ever and ever. We don't serve a God who is a God of wrath. We serve a God who is a God of love. The Bible says over and over again uh, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, We serve a God who weeps over the lost. We serve a God who Ezekiel says... Uh, God is saying, turn, 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 turn to me. We serve a God who the Bible describes as having to do this strange act that uses that language, this strange act of ultimately destroying the wicked or destroying those that have turned their back on God forever and ever. It's not in God's nature to destroy. It's in God's nature to give life. Think about What the disciples asked Jesus to do when when they were rejected from a particular village um, where where there were um, Samaritans And, and a couple of the disciples, James and John, they said to Jesus, we've been offended. You have been offended. Why don't you teach them a lesson and call down fire from heaven and just wipe them, nuke them. The way you brought fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel, why don't you just nuke them and teach them a lesson and teach all the others a lesson that you're not going to be messed with. You know what Jesus said to those disciples? He said, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy men's lives. The Son of Man came to give his life. God is not in the business of cruelty. God will weep over every single lost person that has turned their back on him. God will weep. He will weep. We're all his children. Jesus tasted death for all of us, the Bible says. He tasted death for all of us. It says, you know, he took on board our sins. He became sin for us. Jesus drank that cup so that you and I don't need to drink that cup. But sadly, sadly, that cup will be, will, will be taken by every single person that has turned their back on God, that doesn't accept the gift of Christ, Christ drank that bitter cup so that you and I don't need to drink it. But the, most, but the most merciful thing that God can do at the end of time is put to sleep forevermore those that have refused the gift of salvation. Will they burn? Well, that's what the Bible says they will. Fire will cleanse this world. Fire will completely cleanse this world. Fire is a cleansing agent. Four and a half thousand years ago, this world was cleansed by water. At the end of time, this world will be cleansed by fire. Notice this if the New Jerusalem will descend to this earth where the righteous will live forever, and if the fires of hell are on the surface of the earth, then it is logical to conclude that before the righteous step out of the New Jerusalem onto the New Earth, the fires must be completely out. It's only logic. Only logic that brings us to that conclusion. You see, I believe God's given us not only Bibles, but He's given us brains. How many of you believe that? Bibles and brains. And God expects us to use both our Bibles and our brains that He has given us. And so it's not logical that the fires will continue to burn as the the saved walk out of the new Jerusalem and inhabit this earth, as the Bible says. It just doesn't make sense. And it's not biblical. Notice what we read. Revelation 21, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be what? No more, what's that word? Pain for the former things have passed away. Now let me ask you, does God love those that turn their back on Him? Does God still love them? Absolutely. Absolutely. God doesn't love you and me because we are lovable. Far from it. God loves us no matter who we are, no matter what we are, no matter what we do. God loves us just the same. As someone once pointed out, and it's been repeated over and over again, and it needs to be repeated this time here. There is nothing you can do that will have God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do that will have God love you any less. The Bible doesn't say God is loving. No, the Bible says God is love. This is who God is. God will deal with those that have turned their back on him in the most merciful, in the most loving way, and he will simply put them to sleep for the rest of eternity. I want to serve a God like that, don't you? I want to serve a God like that. You and I full well know that if you love an animal that's in pain, what do you need to do? And there's no hope for that animal being rehabilitated. What do you do? You put your animal to sleep. If we, if we, if me as a sinful, wicked human being, according to scripture, am willing to put my cat, which I did last year, my cat to sleep because the situation was was, was was beyond repair. That's probably not the right word to use. But you know what I mean. It was an old cat. It was a sick cat. It was in pain. And me as a human being, I put my precious cat, Sam, I cried, I cried, but we put Sam to sleep so that Sam wouldn't be in more pain than was necessary. If I did that with my cat, and I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not God, not even close. I don't have the loving character of God. Can you for one moment imagine the God of the universe who created us? We're all of his children. Can you imagine him allowing those that have not chosen eternal life to suffer forever and ever and ever? I can't imagine a God like that. That's because the Bible doesn't teach a God like that. It teaches a God who will end pain, no more pain, including those that have chosen to forfeit eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God? A wonderful picture of God. That's the kind of picture of God that the Bible teaches. I don't know what kind of picture of God you had before you came to hear this message. Those of you who are watching on DVD or those who are watching online, I don't know what kind of picture you have. And I do want to address those who are watching online. You may have turned your back on a god of fire and brimstone who allows people to burn forever and ever and ever. You have turned your back on a God like that. You don't want to have anything to do with a God like that, but wherever you are watching, I want to plead with you to, to give God another opportunity to show you what kind of God he is. And I pray, and I pray that all of us will 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 take hold of this god of love this god of love and that we will share this god of love with those around us that he is loving in everything he does and that is why my friends that is why my friends do not ever forget that for all of eternity for all of eternity there will be one theme song that all the angels all the redeemed the entire universe will sing over and over and over again. And the theme song will be, God is love. God is love. God is love. This subject, rightly understood according to scripture, paints the most beautiful picture of God and who he is. I don't know about you, but whenever... I look at this subject, I am in awe of the God of the universe that I have chosen to serve. I thank God that He is such a loving God. This is the character of God so beautifully demonstrated. Let's pray together, eh? Loving Father in heaven, wow, we can, we can, we can honestly and, and based on scripture, we can intellectually say, our loving Heavenly Father. Because indeed we have discovered through this misunderstood subject, not just misunderstood subject, but Father, this subject that has been so wrongly taught even in your church, even in Christianity, Father, we have discovered the truth that you are not a God to be afraid of, but you are a God to be a friend of. You're a God that is love. You're a God that demonstrates your love in everything you do, including how you ultimately deal with those that have turned their backs on the plan of salvation. Father, we want to thank you and praise you. And uh, we thank you for your love, for your mercy and your grace. And we thank you that you are not willing that any should perish to be lost forever, to die the second death. But you, were, you are willing that that you you so much want for all to come to repentance and to choose your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Bless us now as we go our separate ways. Thank you for your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, "Amen,", amen and "Amen," and "Amen."